you, Stuart, for your spiritedness in singing that song. Oh, okay. Good. Okay, I just learned that the scripture reading is not going to appear on the screen this morning. So. Okay, okay, we understand. So if you would like to follow along, go ahead and open the Bibles that you brought, your Bible app, or the Bibles in the pews. Um, that's a good way to follow along if you'd like. And um, we're going to be reading from the New Testament book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. That's Matthew, chapter 2. Okay. And... Um, this is, well, no, we're not reading from the New Revised Standard <laughs> Version, are we? It is. Okay. That's what's in the, oh, okay. Gotcha. I'm reading the New Revised Standard. We'll get, we'll get this. Matthew chapter two. Thank you, Amanda. We'll give you a second here. Okay. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star in the east and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out at once, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen in the east until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they, saw the star, when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So it's a great thing when we read different translations. Every translation is an interpretation. And when different words come to mind, it gives us an opportunity to talk about things. So don't worry if you have the right translation or not, because the different translations add a richness to our reading together. 
I do hope as we are preparing that you have a highlighter. We have these available in the back. They were also in the gathering space. It's okay to highlight the Bibles that are in the back, which are available to take home with you if you need one. And then you might also need a sticky note or two to mark your place. You're welcome to do that as well. This is how we do church here at Morningstar. We interact with our scripture. So you're invited to do that today. If you have a favorite Bible app on your smartphone, that's fine too. That will work just as well. So let's take a deep breath. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was about... 14 or 15 years old, my family and I were home on a Saturday afternoon, relaxing and preparing dinner when we heard a knock on the front door. And this was an unusual occurrence. We lived in the country, miles and miles from the nearest town. Most of our neighbors were family members, so they would just walk in. <laughs> we never, ever had drop-in company. So this particular knock on the door seemed exceedingly odd to us. And I wonder if Mother Mary felt the same way when she received her own unexpected strangers. Despite our typical nativity scenes and the way we often tell the story, these strangers did not show up looking for Jesus until he was probably about two years old. By then, Mary and Joseph had moved out of the stable and into their own home. And that's why we've only added our three kings to the nativity set just this morning. It's why our Christmas decorations are still up, because Christmas time is not over yet. It actually ends today with our celebration of Epiphany. <clears throat> the word Epiphany in common language means a greater understanding, a revelation of a concept or a situation, but in our faith terms, Epiphany refers to the manifestation or the appearance of the divine, of a God. The birth of Jesus, the Messiah, would certainly count. And in the church calendar, Epiphany takes place on January the 6th, which is 12 days after Christmas, which is where we get our 12 days of Christmas song and the partridge in the pear tree, which is a reference to Jesus. Some of you know this, but some of you don't. And it's important that we understand where these things come from. So in our tradition, we celebrate Epiphany on the Sunday that is closest to January 6th, which is today. So here we are. We're at Mary and Joseph's house. And we can envision Joseph perhaps in the back in his workshop making something as a carpenter. And Mary at home chasing the toddler Jesus around the house. When she hears a knock on the door, and she opens to see probably not three kings, but an entourage of people bearing gifts. Now, we often sing songs at Christmas time about whether Mary knew or not, just who Jesus was and what he would do, and chances are she absolutely did. She'd heard the angel's proclamation that she would bear the Son of God, and she was the one to famously say, let it be, and to sing her own song about the power of God's liberation. She'd been the one to give birth to the child, and she had heard the angels sing Hosanna in the highest upon his arrival. 
So sure, the timing of the knock on the door might have been a bit unexpected, but she probably was not completely surprised that Jesus would be the object of such a search. Mary was more likely curious about the purpose of the visit and the intentions of these strangers. We call them wise men or the three kings or the magi. The term magi is related to our words for magic or sorcery. In reality, these strangers were probably priests from another tradition in Persia. And their reference to the star points to their experience with astrology and their understanding of the meaning of the night sky. There's no indication from the text that there were only three of them. It's more likely that they traveled in a very large group of men, women, and children. The number three comes from the number of gifts that were given to Jesus, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. All three of them would have been expensive to purchase, and they would hold great value beyond their financial worth. Sometimes we hear the gold referenced as the precious metal that was used to make crowns and rings for royalty, but this gold was actually a type of fragrant incense that was used in the golden altar in the temple. Frankincense is another fragrant oil. It's often used for healing. I use it when I anoint the sick. Myrrh was commonly used to embalm the dead in preparation for burial. So these three gifts of incense emphasize the priestly role that Jesus was to play for the people as their direct connection to God, to the Almighty. They also, the gifts also support the notion that the Magi were priests themselves. So the gifts are impressive, but the fact that they were given by people from a faraway land adds to their significance. And Jesus, of course, was born in Bethlehem, which is mentioned by the prophet Micah as being the, the smallest of the clans of Judah. So I'd like you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament. Go to the prophet Micah, chapter 5. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, says, But you, Bethlehem, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one is, who is to rule Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient of days. Now turn back to Matthew chapter 2. I hope you still have that marked from where we read it. Patty's laughing. You should have expected that by now, Patty. Oh. Oh, you never got to Micah. <laughs> you can always use your table of contents. There is no shame in using the table of contents. So go to Matthew. It's okay. You heard what I said, so it's okay. Go to Matthew. This is where Judy read this morning, and our text for today tells us that the Magi from the east, they traveled to King Herod looking for the one who had born, been born the king of the Jews. And they, they tell him, we saw the star when it rose, and we followed to this point, and we've come to worship him. And the king doesn't like that. He's disturbed by that. And when King Herod is disturbed, the whole kingdom becomes disturbed because he's a bit unhinged. And they don't know exactly what he's going to do or how it will affect them. So the first thing he does is gather his own crowd of wise people, the chief priests 
and the rulers of the law. And he asks them about the prophecies of the Messiah. He says, where is the Messiah to be born? And that's where we pick up in Matthew chapter 2. We'll read verses 5 and 6. They told the king, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. But that's not what Micah said, is it? Go ahead and highlight by no means the least. Micah didn't say it, but that's how Matthew is interpreting this prophecy because Matthew is making a point. Matthew is telling a story, the biography of Jesus. It's a very specific style of storytelling that Matthew is using. He starts with the genealogy that we studied all throughout the season of Advent, including the names of women that make Jesus' heritage unique. The nature of the divine announcement of Mary's pregnancy only adds to that mystery. And then the writer establishes the birthplace, Bethlehem, as a site where extraordinary things could happen. And then there's the whole notion of the star of wonder, the star of light. This is another literary device. In the Mediterranean society of the time, nothing honorable was done in secret. The visibility of the star and the public nature of the Magi's interest in Jesus would have put the spotlight, so to speak, on the birth of a very important person. And the fact that Herod plotted in secret against Jesus shows just how dishonorable he was and sets him up to be the villain. Now, all of these expectations collide at Mary's front door. Mary expected Jesus to be a liberator. The Magi expected Jesus to be a great priest and ruler. And Herod expected Jesus to be his downfall. Again, perhaps Mary did not know exactly whom to expect or when to expect them, or why these particular people might be looking for her son, but she certainly knew that the day would come that people would seek Jesus for good or for ill. After all, she had seen the star too. Or at the very least, she would not have been surprised to learn of its rising. Again, in our faith tradition, we believe that signs are more than symbols. A symbol points to something else, it represents something else, but it is not the thing itself. A sign is part of the thing. A symbol is about information. A sign is about experience. So our sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion are the best examples that we have of signs of God's work in the world. The star was another sign. It's presence invited those who would recognize it for what it was to follow, to follow and see what God was up to, to see for themselves the foretold Messiah in the flesh. In those days, the sky was considered to be of the heavenly realm. The appearance of stars would have been understood to be communication from and the action of the gods. So the wise people from Persia, they were trained in astrology for this reason, to, to learn, to pay attention to what God was doing in the world, to notice when God was doing something extraordinary. Such a marvelous event or a sign from above would have been translated 
as a message from God, as the work of God, usually related to the birth of someone very important. Such cosmic activity served as a, another part of that VIP biography, along with the genealogy, the birthplace, and the public expressions of honor. So for people like the Magi, there was nothing to do except follow the star until the miracle was revealed and the mystery was unveiled. It was a tremendous act of faith that placed them in the crosshairs of a jealous king whose violent rages led them to return home by another road and led Joseph to pack up his family and move them to Egypt, seeking refuge as hundreds of thousands of toddlers and infants were killed, all in a madman's effort to preserve his place on the throne. That's the rest of the story that we find in Matthew chapter 2. So it appears that the leg of the journey was just beginning for the Magi, for Mary and Joseph, and even for Jesus, and it started with a knock on the door from unexpected strangers who expected far more of Jesus than many people who had witnessed more than a star. So it turns out that all those years ago on my front porch, our own unexpected strangers had similar expectations of their own faith and what was expected of them. They were people from a church that we had recently attended and they had literally gone out of their way to let us know that we were welcome, to extend friendship to us by meeting us right where we were when we were not easy to find. So, beloved, on this first Sunday in 2024, I wonder, what do we expect? I wonder if we wonder enough, if we're curious enough, if we wander enough in this faith of ours. I wonder on what journey are we willing to embark? Perhaps we are the unexpected strangers of today, pointing to the star by following it to Jesus. That's our mission, right? To point people to the grace of God that we find in Jesus. Well, the beginning of a new year is as good a time as any for us to renew our commitment to our mission and to remember that as followers of Jesus, we would be wise. We would be wise to learn to expect the unexpected. To do unexpected acts of kindness. To be the unexpected extenders of grace and mercy in a world full of people who are hurting and broken and misguided. So that's my prayer for us and our community today. And I'd like to offer, as a sign of that prayer these stickers. They are star stickers, and they shine. And I invite you to take one of these today as you come forward for Holy Communion or as the elements are brought to you, and put them somewhere where you will see them. Maybe that's on your Bible. Maybe it's in your car. Maybe it's on your wallet. Maybe it's on the mirror in your bathroom. So that when you look at this star, every time you see it, you are reminded that God can do the unexpected through you. Amen? Amen. We're moving now into a time of prayer. And I just want to remind you that our children are learning how to be in worship. And it's been a weird couple of weeks. 
There's kind of a restart button that we, we get on the first Sunday of the year. So be patient for, with them. And that noise of children is not noise. It's a reminder that God is at work in the next generation. And I know plenty of churches that are quiet. And we're glad to not be one of them. Let's take a deep breath. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may we each day open the window of our worlds, inviting the brightness of epiphany to flood us with hope, to bring us fresh insight and to fill us with grateful joy. May we see the world around us with new eyes, creation filled with potential and brimming with promise. May our lives be a continuous unfolding into God's grace, revealing new vistas that expand our faith horizons. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.